Can you go back one picture? So this, if I'm not wrong, is Mount Fortescue. Is that right, Phil? And so last Sunday morning when I woke up from my very uncomfortable bed <laughs> at ridiculous o'clock in the morning, this was our view. And this time last Sunday, I was probably about up the top of that mountain, Mount Fortescue. So for those who don't know, Phil and I were away last week for four days and we went trekking in um, Tasmania. And it was way better than I could have imagined. It was amazing. But the beds were uncomfortable and the pack's too heavy and I'm not in a hurry to do it again. But the views were incredible and I think Phil's given us a little bit of a taste of that this morning. So thanks for that, Phil. Like a bit of a slideshow of our holiday um, has been on the screen. Um, so it's good to be here. Isn't it nice to be here? And thanks to those who have so, so helpfully led us in worship this morning and helped us encounter and meet with God. So thank you. So as Phil said, we're starting a series today called Happy Trails. And um, the idea is these songs, these psalms that the Jews would sing were meant to make their hearts happy. So it's not like a, a token word. We often steer away from using the word happy because we know that we're not actually called to be happy. We're called to be holy. You've heard us preach about that before. And actually there's a sense of joy that's much deeper than happiness that we're called to have. Um, but this phrase is kind of what these psalms were about, these, these songs for the trail. Um, the psalms of ascent was... I suppose, their original name. But as it's been translated in Scripture, we see pilgrim songs or songs for the trail. So these psalms go all the way from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And we're not going to... We're going to look at four of them. We're not going to look at every single one of them in detail. We're going to look at four of them over the next, as Phil said, eight weeks, about every second week, um, as we have some other cool, special things happening in our church in that time as well. But the Psalms is a book of songs. You know that, don't you? These, these Psalms, we read them. Um, sometimes we sing them when we've got um, hymns or, or um, tunes that people have written to go along with them. But they were written to be sung. And they were all different types of songs that were written to be sung for different occasions, for different settings, in different seasons. Expressions of praise and worship that would lift people's hearts regardless of the, where they found themselves. So like shoes, these are these shoes that I wore last week. These beautiful walking boots, probably even got some sand still from um, Tasmania, so I don't know if that's worth anything. But just like I wouldn't wear these boots if I was out for a run, right, because they're just way too heavy. I wouldn't wear running shoes to a wedding. I wouldn't wear high heels if I went to the beach, you know, like that kind of thing. You wouldn't wear their certain shoes for certain occasions, right? Well, there were certain psalms for certain occasions, certain times where things were appropriate. Um, and so in the psalms, we find different categories of songs that help us express different situations. Maybe we were declaring dependence on God or repenting or lifting our praise to him for his blessings. Or perhaps we were expressing anger or frustration or bewilderment or, or disgust. There's a psalm, there's a song for every situation that these people would find themselves in and they're so applicable for us as well. So in this book, this, this book of psalms, there's different sections and these 15 psalms that we're going to have a look at, or some of the psalms in these 15 psalms we're going to have a look at, were written for a certain special occasion for the Jewish people. And they were songs for the road, pilgrim songs, songs for travellers. And that's literally when they were used. So we know that David wrote four of them. We know that Solomon, David's son, wrote the other one. We don't know who wrote the other one. Some people have said King Hezekiah. We don't really know. But we do know that what they were was the playlist 
the songs that people would sing as they made their way to Jerusalem. Three times a year they had to go to Jerusalem for different festivals, the festival of Passover, the festival of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. And no matter where people were, were from, the Jews would have to make their way up to this holy city of Jerusalem where they would worship God. And through the course, there was a special place because that was where at one stage the Ark of the Covenant was held. It was where the sacrifices would need to be brought. It was a special, special place. And they would have to come and they would walk, of course, there. And they'd be ascending up to the hill because Jerusalem was on a plateau up the top of a hill. So no matter where they came from, they would have to walk uphill. Who likes walking as long as it's not uphill? Yeah. I, hear, I know a lot of people saying, I could walk forever if it's on the flat. Well, these Jews had no choice because no matter where they came from, they had to walk uphill to this, to this point. It's a bit like when you go down to the shops at Collaroy, hey, guys, and you have to walk up the hill. Even early in the morning when you've had your photography session, you've got to walk up the hill. So you can just picture what it might have been like. And so while they were walking, while they were hiking these trails, which certainly wouldn't have had a boardwalk like this here on our walk last week, a whole lot of it was boarded, not all of it, but, but some of it, they wouldn't have had anything like that. They were on these rough trails and they would keep their hearts happy, the psalmist tells us. They would keep their eyes focused on God by singing these songs to each other, to encourage one another. And so as we go about our lives on our trails, trying to keep our eyes heavenward, trying to keep our hearts in tune with what God wants us to do and who God wants us to be, we can have so much meaning from these psalms as well. I know many of you would quote as one of your favourite psalms, the psalms we're looking at, the psalm we're looking at this morning, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes from the hills to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Perhaps some of the most well-known verses in the psalms. So we're looking today at Psalm 121, and so I'm going to read it to you. And if you want to follow along in your Bible, it could be helpful or on your app, because I'm going to actually talk a little bit about the structure this morning, so it would be helpful for you to see that if you wanted to. So Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. You know, this psalm, um, if you have a look at the structure, if you can see it there, you won't be able to see it on the screen all at once. But you can see it's made up of eight verses, kind of in lots of two. We call them couplets, two verses together. So there's four lots of two verses. And so what it is, there's this introduction at the beginning, and then there's three kind of points, if you like. So I haven't come up with anything original this morning. It's three points the psalmist makes. Given this introduction... Here's the three things that I know for sure about my God, that as I go to worship him, I'm going to sing and remind us of. And so we're going to just look very simply at this beautiful psalm this morning, which starts with this introduction. I lift my eyes up to the mountains or to the hills. And then the question, where does my help come from? Then he answers the question about where he chooses to look, where he goes to solve his help or to be his help. Now, before we even get started, I think we need to acknowledge even for us, that there's a temptation to look to all sorts of places for help, right? 
The reality is that we get into so many situations where we need help and we lift our eyes in desperation when we're going through something that's hurtful or painful or confusing. And we can find in this psalm the strategy of what to do. We can find some real useful information, useful tools as to what to do when life hurts the most. One commentator, John Phillips, wrote in his commentary about Psalm 121. This is what he describes this psalm is for. He says, It's a psalm to turn to when shadows deepen and the future looks bleak. Have you been there? When shadows deepen and the future looks bleak. Maybe there's a situation in your life right now where you feel actually shadows are deepening. The future looks bleak. I'm, I'm struggling to see hope. I'm struggling to see light. Maybe it's a medical situation. Maybe it's a relationship concern. Maybe it's a hopeless circumstance at work when shadows deepen and the future looks bleak. If you haven't faced a time in your life so far like that, I'm sure there's going to be one on your trail ahead where we're left wondering, where does my help come from? Where do, I, where do I go to now? What do I even do next? And so as these pilgrims would make their way to Jerusalem, they would lift their eyes to the scenery and they would see hills. They would look up and they'd see literally mountains all around them. You couldn't go to Jerusalem without seeing hills. But these hills had different associations. So in the hills lived lots of wild animals. They lived, lived lions and bears. I'm pretty sure in the hills that I hiked in last week there were no scary wild animals. I saw wallabies and echidnas, but no lion. Phil said there was drop bears, but he was lying to scare me. Um, so, but there was, you know, lions and bears. There was very real danger. And travelling with your family to Jerusalem was actually dangerous. It was actually a scary adventure for most people. They were open to threat out on the trail. Next week, um, we're going to hear a great message from Bruce Domro about the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you remember in that story, um, it rotated around a man who fought, fell among thieves on his way to Jericho from Jerusalem on one of these trails. It was a dangerous trail. Things happened. And these families, they'd be out, out on this big trek, so they would have food with them, they would have money with them. They were like targets for attack from criminals who, who would just be waiting there. You know, tangible opportunity, these families that had to come at these times of the year. I lift my eyes. Where does my help come from? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to stay safe from the animals? How am I going to protect my family from those who wish to get the better of us? And so I think sometimes when we read this psalm, we think I lift my eyes to the hills as if they give us inspiration. And sometimes they do, right? We look to the hills, we look to this beautiful scenery. This is in Tasmania. It's gorgeous. And we think, God, you are great. But actually, it's more likely that when the psalmist wrote this, he was thinking, I look, lift my eyes to the hills. It's scary. I lift my eyes to the hills. There's danger that lurks with there. Am I going to look to the hills for help? And the reason he considered looking to the hills for help was for another reason, another association that these hills he held. And that was the false gods and false idols would be built in high places. So in these mountains, not only ultimately was the top was Jerusalem, but there were false gods, false idols built in these high places, mountains of shrine, full of shrines, full of gods. And so maybe he's considering the option. Where, do, where does my help come from? Am I going to look to a false god? 
Am I going to be scared of animals and so pray to something that I can see up in the mountains? What about us? When we're feeling low or agitated or scared or frustrated or unappreciated, are we tempted to look at a false god? A false god can be anything for us, right? On our journey, some of the temptations are to look at social media, to look at a purchase, to look to food or to other, other substances, to deal with our stress, to deal with our pain, to deal with our discomfort, when we experience fear. Maybe we're good at gathering those around us who will pity us when things don't go our way and we can look to those things to be our help. But the psalmist chooses not to focus on the heels. The psalmist chooses not to focus on the false gods for help. He chooses not to focus on the danger, on the animals that could attack him. He chooses not to focus on those who want the better of him. He chooses to focus on God. He says, no, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He doesn't look to the hills alone. He looks to the one who made the hills. He looks above the hills. And that's the choice we have in this life. Are we going to look to the hills or to the one who made the hills? Are we going to look to the obvious things in life that seem so easy to access? Or are we going to look to the one who created life and who created the world that we live in? That's the choice we have. Some call it this the Goliath principle. You might know the story of David and Goliath and Saul was so scared to go up against Goliath. Why? Saul had been this king. He was this strong, tall man, we're told. But Saul was scared of Goliath because he'd lived his life focused on how tall he was and how he was taller than everyone else and smarter than everyone else and more powerful than everyone else. And as soon as he came up to, with something that was taller or bigger or stronger than him, he was scared. He didn't know what to do. But David, he didn't look at Goliath and see someone taller than himself, even though he was. Because David knew that his power didn't come from how tall he was, but it came from how tall his God was. David didn't look to Goliath and get, get scared. He looked to the maker of Goliath and himself, the one who would give him the power. If we're going to look at the hills, if we're going to look at a false God to help us, we're going to left, be left stranded. And I'm sure some of us have experienced that before. If we look at the hills and look at things that will scare us, then maybe we're going to feel intimidated by life and we're going to hide and, and pretend it's not that bad, bury our head in the sand. But David made his peace as he headed toward Goliath by thinking about how good his God was. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills, but where does my help come from? Not from there. It comes from the maker of the hills, the maker of heaven and earth. And then the psalmist says, there's three things, three things that happen when I'm looking to God rather than looking to the hills. Three things that happens. And the first one is the psalmist tells us that we become aware that we have a sure-footed guide. A sure-footed guide. You know, when I was walking on the track last week, um, I was very grateful that Phil and many others had told me that I needed to get real walking boots. You know, I'd only ever walked in, like, sneakers before, you know, like just normal shoes that I do everything else in. But I was told, nope, you're going to get blisters, it's going to be slippery. So I got these boots. I told you about the purchase of those a little while ago. I got these boots. And I don't know about these ones in particular, but I'm told that many walking boots these days, the tread, the bottom of them, is made by the same companies that makes tyres, like Michelin make, 
hiking boots. So the idea is the tread helps you get a sure foot. And I'd never experienced how easy it was to walk on pebbles and rocks and in gravel with walking boots. It's amazing. Who's done that before? Yeah, it's amazing. Like I'm used to slipping around and being scared and being cautious, but I actually felt this freedom. So I had to get used to these boots. They felt a little bit heavy at first. I had to wear them in. But it was pretty amazing because I didn't have to be scared. I felt that actually when I was walking up, I, I would look at where I was stepping, but I was so confident that I wouldn't slip because I had these boots on my feet. It was incredible. And I didn't fall over the whole time, which is pretty amazing for me. But they make this um, tread on the boots to give you traction, to keep you sure-footed, to keep you secure. And the psalmist says this is exactly what God does for us on our trail. He gives us a sure foundation. When we're looking to him, we can have this extra confidence because we know that he will keep our feet sure. He is a sure-footed guide. Verse 3, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Having a sure-footed guide, having this God who keeps our foundation firm means that we can be confident, we can enjoy life to the full and we can trust him. And further, because he never sleeps, it means that we can. It means that we can. I don't know how many nights I have to remind myself of this when I'm lying awake trying to solve the world's problems, which are never solvable at three o'clock in the morning, but we seem to think that they are. But God doesn't clock out. God's always on duty, which means that we can. It means that we can rest, we can sleep, we can turn our phone off because God never turns his phone off. We can sleep so often with our phones on our nightstand, waiting to be interrupted almost by something trying to solve or protect an image, solve battles ourselves. But this psalmist says that God doesn't slumber and he doesn't sleep, but keeps watch over us and our situations that we're worried about. So it's possible for us to be still and to know that God is God. He's our sure-footed guide. He doesn't go to sleep. Second thing, as a result of looking above the hills to the one who made the heavens and the earth, we find that God is a shelter for every season. A shelter for every season. Often as the Israelites, sorry, as the Jews would travel to Jerusalem, the um, weather would be varied and they'd be exposed for very long periods of time. They'd be out in the scorching heat and there wouldn't be many trees on parts of their trail and it would be very, very hot. Other times, it would hit night, as it did last week when we were in Tasmania. We thought it was quite a nice day. Hit about four or five o'clock at night, suddenly gets cold and the nights on the trail for the Jews would have been quite cold. But how good is it when you're somewhere when you're out exposed to the elements and suddenly you find shelter. A good tree, a beach umbrella if you've been at the beach all day, something that can stop the elements, stop the weather from being quite so harsh. So they would say, verse 5, 6, they would sing, the Lord watches over you or some versions that you might have heard, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade at your right hand, the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. We see both sides here. For some seasons are bright and harsh. 
We don't know where to turn. We just want to get out of the, the constant onslaught of the heat that we're facing. Other seasons are a bit cold. We can feel lonely. We can feel scared as night comes about in our life. The psalmist says, God is a shelter from the sun. He's also a shelter when it's night and you can get cold quickly. There was also this other meaning about the protecting or a shelter from the moon because um, it was thought at this time, and some people probably still believe, I know some people do believe, that actually moon rays can develop, help you develop insanity. You know, moon rays can cause insanity. Thus the term moon, lunar, lunatic. Did you know that? That's where the word lunatic comes from. They thought that the sun, the, the moon would make you crazy. I still have teacher friends that swear that that's true, <laughs> um, that the moon makes their kids crazy. Um, but then they say so does the wind and the rain, all sorts of things. So maybe it's just the bad weather. But, but for them who believed this, they saw that the moon, the moon would, would be harsh to them, would cause them to go insane on the trails. And, and so singing to themselves, my God is a shelter by day. Shelter from the sun by day and a shelter from the moon at night. He's not just a shelter from the bad stuff either or the stuff that we see as bad. That phrase, he's a shade at your right hand, actually has a bit of a deeper meaning. And some of you who've read the Bible for a while might know that the right side or the right hand is used in the Bible as a position of power. It's a position of strength. So if something's at your right hand, it means it's on your strong side. It symbolised authority. And so when the Bible says that God is your shade at your right hand, it's implying as well that he protects you even in areas where you think you've got it. Even in areas where you think you're strong but might be prone to temptation because of that. Where you think you don't need anyone else. God there is still giving you protection. If you look to him, if you look to the maker of heavens and earth, he will protect you from yourself if you like. Satan attacks our weaknesses, but he also attacks our strengths. So let's be sure to be looking to God to be the shade at our right hand. God provides shelter for every situation. So the final thing this morning, the final sort of takeaway truth or the thing that they would encourage each other with on this trail was they would remind each other that when they look not at the mountains, but at the one who makes the mountains, not, not at the, the, what we're afraid of in the mountains, not at a false god in the mountains, but we lift our eyes even higher to God himself. When we do that, we experience God to be a guardian of our soul. A guardian of our soul. Verse 7 and 8, or verse 7 to start with. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Another version says, The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord will keep you from all harm. There's so many things in our life that need to be kept, that need to be monitored, that need to be taken care of. Our family, our relationships, our health. Talking this morning about that constant battle to, you know, eat right and exercise right. We know, we know our physical bodies need to be kept. But over and above all that, the most important thing that needs taken care of is our soul. If our soul isn't well, it doesn't matter what else is going well. We can have money in the bank, we can have a good job, we can have lots of friends, but if our soul's not well, it will affect every area of our life. That's why God's so concerned with our soul and that's why we need to look to God to be the guardian of our soul, the one who takes care of our character, the parts of us that don't show up when we take a selfie, you know, that inner stuff. The soul is the end all and be all 
and it's guarded by focusing on the one who made us, who made all of heaven and earth, but made us and knows us. So how much time do you spend with God allowing him to guard your soul? How does it measure compared to your screen time, compared to your TV time, compared to your gym time? The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you as well. Seek first the God who is the guardian of your soul and he will teach you how to keep every other area of your life. I don't know if you've noticed as we've gone through this psalm, but for those of you who are into like analysing poetry or, or songs, maybe you, you notice a bit of a change in, the, in the, the way it shifts. At the beginning it starts, I will lift my eyes. Where does my help come from? It's all very first person singular. But it's like the psalmist spends time with God. He acknowledges where his help comes from. And then the next three couplets, the next three points, are actually talking to others on the trail. It's encouraging one another. Can you see it changes from verse 3 and it says, it says everything is you. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let you. He's your keeper, your shade. It's like they're encouraging one another on the trail. What happened? Well, the psalmist focused on God. He, he made sure his soul was thriving he made sure his soul was guarded and guided and protected. And then he had something to give other people. You know, it's the same for us. To be able to give effectively and to encourage others, we need to receive from God. And some of us get so busy helping other people that we don't stop and receive from God. Don't let him guard our soul. It's a bit like they say on a plane when we flew to Hobart last week. It was the same little drill as you always get. In case of an emergency, the oxygen mask will drop. And what do they say? Put it on yourself first before you put it on kids. And some part of us as parents thinks, of course I'm going to put it on my kids first. But we know that we need to be receiving life and health before we can pass it on to others. So today, verse 8. May this be our promise, our assurance, and may it encourage us to go back to verse 1 and to look to the maker of heaven and earth because it says this about God, the Lord will watch over your coming and going. You know, he knows what's happening in your life. He really knows. He will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. The message says, he guards you when you leave and when you return. He guards you now he guards you always. No matter where you go, no matter where life takes you, no matter what happens in the mountains that you're, that you're surrounded by, this God wants to guard and preserve your soul. He's got you. He's looking out for you. He's a sure-footed guide. He can take care of you. We're going to listen to a song. And um, this song is called Song of Ascent. And it talks about life. It talks about the type of life that these Jews would have experienced, but just as relevantly, it talks about the type of life that we experience. And it causes us to ask ourselves, where does our help come from? And so as we, um, as we listen to this song, I just invite you to sit in God's presence, to listen to the words. Maybe the words will start to go in the background and you'll hear from God direct and ask him to be your help. Ask him to help keep your eyes fixed on him, the maker of heaven and earth and of you. <laughs> 